Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And this is Off Script, a podcast where every week we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about the theology behind it, and get a chance to uh, discuss anything that ended up on the cutting room floor. Uh, we are talking today about the second week of our Back to School sermon series, It's Complicated, the Story of Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, so um, I have to say I really enjoyed this sermon. Thank you. Mainly because you sang a little bit in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you had a picture of Tom Petty. I mean, you were like Lucy Goosey. I loved it. It was so fun. You made jokes. You, I don't know, you bantered with us. It Thanks. was great. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, so I love the story of Abraham and Sarah, and I think this text today is is a good one too. But it's got some real world connections, you know. So we get a chance to take a deep dive on a text, and uh, anytime I can mention early 80s music. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, I felt like I needed to balance your uh, millennial energy with your Barbie girl reference yeah. from last month. That no one laughed at? Yeah. I did. I oh. thought it was great, but you got to know your audience. I know. So I went with <laughs> I went with Tom Petty and uh, the classic one-hit wonder, Naked Eyes. Yeah. I'll I even lie. showed their picture, actually. You did. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Yeah. It- and at 11 o'clock, I said, uh, kids, this is what we used to think was cool looking. Because it <laughs> it's very early 80s. It is. But I feel like I see a lot of kids kind of look like that now. Like <laughs> the do. boys are growing the weird like mullet thing. Mm-hmm. The 80s kind of mullet. Mullets are absolutely bad. And they just. Yeah, that's not good. They, that's not a good look. That and curtain bangs. Yeah. Fashion is just. Mm-hmm. I sound old. But yeah, the fashion Looks is like Farrah Fawcett. I just don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. I love me some Asia. I love some 80s music. Africa? Uh-huh. Well, that, but all Asia, really. Is it, do they have anything else? Yeah. Like, well, I don't know. It's kind of funny that Asia's big hit is Africa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have plenty of other good stuff. Do they? I, I don't know. I grew up with my father. <laughs> I listened to a lot of weird hmm. sub-80s, probably. You're dating me now. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, the other day, my daughter, Andy, said that. Africa by Toto is her is her favorite song. It came on. She's like, "Oh, I know this song. This is my favorite song." Oh, wait, Toto sang Africa. Yeah. Oh, you're right. I totally agreed with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, nope. yeah. Africa. What did Asia sing? Uh, I can't name the songs. I listen when I listen to them. I have huh. them on vinyl, and I literally just like put it on and let it go. Mm-hmm. But and we could do a whole music podcast. I would love that. I would totally be on board with that. Mm-hmm. But the two songs I referenced yesterday were "The Waiting," which is the lyric everybody knows is "The Waiting is the hardest part." Mm-hmm. And it, that is in key, by the way. And that song is 40 years old, 1981. Oh, and right. then two years later is when Promises, Promises mm-hmm. came out. <laughs> and my uh, what I said in the sermon was that the communications department brought that up. I thought about asking Jason to sing it, but I didn't think he'd be on board with it. And I figured the sheet music <laughs> would be hard to find. <laughs> I would love to yeah. see the choir sing that. It would be so they, great. But they were they were on board. Yeah. Yeah. The whole choir was there back for the first time because oh, they yeah. resumed rehearsals. And they seem to be on board with the idea of singing yeah, Promises. Yeah, they promises. could do it. But I, I did t- sing a little snippet of it mm-hmm. so that it would be in everybody's uh, head the rest of the day. Yeah. So they could remember what we talked about in church that day, the promises of God. Yeah. I think that would I think that would increase attendance if we did some 80s power ballads ah. with the choir. <laughs> it just might. <laughs> Can would. we wear wigs? Yeah. I'm so in. I'm so in. Absolutely. If I get to wear a Miami Vice jacket, I'm on board. <laughs> with a t-shirt underneath? Yeah. 
Love it. Okay. Let's talk about the sermon. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you read from chapter 18, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the story starts in chapter 12. It goes through, I think, middle of 24, something like that. So Mm -hmm. we're we're kind of surveying those chapters. Right. So summarize like the main part of the story that you – and then tell us what kind of happens right before chapter 18, I guess. So it's a pretty famous scene. Um, These three strangers show up outside uh, Abraham's tent. And uh, he like is very hospitable to them, and and basically these are messengers from God. <clears throat> Although there's a little bit of it's like the text is a little unclear. Um, as Christians, we read we read it and see the Trinity, obviously, because mm-hmm. there are three strangers. And and in the Hebrew, the way the Hebrew goes, uh, Abraham says, "My Lord," as though it's one person. But they basically promise that there's gonna that Sarah's gonna have a son, and um, Sarah, the the text says, is listening outside the tent, and she laughs to herself, basically. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> then one of the guys calls her out, like, "Why'd you laugh?" And she's, "I didn't laugh." And he says, "Oh, yes, you did laugh." <laughs> so it's a it's a great story. And it's very it's very it's a famous story. I think you know when um, like Sunday school, like children in Sunday school, when they tell the story of, they, of Abraham and Sarah, this story often makes the uh, makes the cut. Mm-hmm. Some other stuff does not, which is good, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this one uh, often does. And there's a very famous icon that I referenced in the sermon by um, a, a Russian uh, artist um, that that depicts this scene in a way that's uh, we'll probably talk about a little bit later. Yeah. Okay. So what um, what has happened like right before this scene? I yeah. So you- last week we talked about chapter 15. Um, when we talk about the promise or the offer that God makes of a relationship and that offer comes with, uh, the promise of, of land and descendants. And then what happens in, uh, chapter 16 is that some basically 10 years pass from the call of, of Abram in when he's 75 years old, uh, when he's 80, when he's 85 years old, uh, Sarah gets antsy and says, you know what? Baby's not coming. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you marry the slave girl is the phrase yeah. Genesis used. I, I, it makes me very uncomfortable to say that, honestly. Yeah. So I used, I did the air quotes thing. And so, yeah. um, but she's an Egyptian slave or servant slave. And uh, so Abram marries her and they have a son named Ishmael. And it's a very complicated story. I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit. Then the next chapter, chapter 17, um, 13 years have passed and God shows up and institutes the sign of the covenant and says, this isn't exactly what I had in mind. Um, I will bless Ishmael because he's your son, Mm -hmm. but this isn't the way the covenant's going to go. So he institutes the, the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision and, um, then promises that they're going to have a son and Abraham he, they, that's where that's 17 chapter 17 is where Abram and Sarah, I get renamed Abraham and Sarah. And, uh, when God, he's talking to God now face to yeah. face, um, God says, you're going to have a son or Sarah's going to have a son. And he falls on his face and laughs is what the text says. And so God, who has a sense of humor says, fine, you're going to name him Isaac, which means he laughs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I know, so God, says, you know, you're going to have an heir. Is this the, when the visitors come, is it first said 
like Sarah's going to have it? Because do you think, is there confusion of where the air is coming or does the air always have to come? Like, do you think Abraham knew like it had to be him and Sarah or just because it was very complex and, you know, people had multiple wives and what counted as a. Yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. So I think uh, as, as the readers, I think we are, um, that's, a, that's a really good question. That's an insightful question. So I, I, as the reader, we assume it's going to be Abraham and Sarah. Yeah. It's harder to get into his head because of the, <laughs> I'm just going to say this, the very biblical arrangement of marriage back in the day was yeah. way less uh, precise than what uh-huh. we like to think of today. Yeah. Um, so, uh, gosh, I've always read that text and assumed that God meant Sarah. Yeah. And, um, I always kind of assumed that Abraham assumed that as well because, and the reason, and the reason is because when Sarah, who's Sarai at that point, mm-hmm. uh, brings up this idea with Hagar, it's, it's written as though it's a, a diversion from the plan. Yeah. Both like, um, like there, there are connections textually between Sarai's response on this and Eve in the, mm-hmm. in the, the stories we talked about last year. And so it's, it's pretty clear from the text. I think that this is not, this was not the plan, but what Abraham thought is whole <laughs> Abraham. <laughs> I love Abraham. He kind of goes along for the ride on stuff. You know mm-hmm. I mean? Like he's like, all right, Sarah, if you, he doesn't seem to argue much about the Hagar thing. Right. That's what I'm saying, yeah. which is a little problematic. Sure. But uh, then when, we're going to get in a couple of weeks to talk about the, the sacrifice of Isaac. He doesn't really argue with God about that either. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a, he, just Abraham's fascinating character. Yeah. Oh, I think it'd be safe to say Abraham and Sarah are complicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yes. I mean, I've already written my sermon for this Sunday uh-huh. and it's, it's fascinating. Just, I love these characters so much yeah. because we relate to them so much. Um, but I just think, in the story, you know, I feel like God continually has to come to Abraham or Abram and say, like, no, like, you're going to have an heir. Like, how how do I make, like, you are going to have a son. You and Sarah are like, you know, yeah. so I just think maybe there was confusion. I mean, I don't feel like I'm confused. I'm like, no, clearly it's going to be because God can do that, <laughs> you right. know. But I just wondered that time if there was because of people having multiple wives and things like if they just thought, okay, how is this heir actually going to mm-hmm. come to fruition. I don't know. Well, I feel like we do that today all the time. Anyways, like we riddle out ways that things work Mm -hmm. when rather than the exact way, you know, Oh, well maybe I was supposed to (laughs) trip over this gold brick. And then that's why that, that's how that prayer is going to get answered. Mm. But mm, like we insert. So, but you're, so you're talking about interpreting like Things why up. they might have chosen to an alternative way to an heir yeah, because yeah, yeah. they might have even just felt like, oh, well, maybe this is what God meant. Maybe we just weren't <laughs> thinking about it yeah. hard enough. Yeah. yeah. I'll get into that mm-hmm. with Sarah mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Kind of so I had somebody come to the line yesterday and uh, bring up an interesting point. He said, there's a distinction between God's time and our time. I, mm-hmm. We all know this. Sure. But... <laughs> um. Like, what if it wasn't obvious to God that they would get antsy after 10 years? Because 10 years is like, ah, 10 years. Like, right. I'll get around to it. To God. I got other stuff going on, you know? But for them, I mean, they're, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're in their eighties. The clock's, you know, the clock's ticking. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I thought that was an interesting perspective. It was an, an older member of the church, and yeah. um, I thought that was insightful. Huh. Yeah. Um, so just, I do want to mention this. So, you know, taking Hagar, I mean, we kind of mentioned this. It's not unusual. Like, this was a very common practice. So, like, why it still was not a great decision. <laughs> like, it wasn't, like, super scandalous. Like, I, I can't believe he went outside his marriage. Like, it was... It was kind of common practice, mm-hmm. right? I don't know. Um, yeah. Unfortunately. Which is what makes God's plan countercultural, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, gosh, I don't know. That whole thing with Hagar is, it's just very seedy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know what, to me, the lesson in that whole episode, because so the Hagar story doesn't end with Ishmael's birth. Right. So after Isaac's born... And we're not, we don't get into this in the sermon series yeah, because it's kind of its own separate yes. storyline. But, uh, Sarah, uh, it's not, she doesn't just get antsy before I, Isaac's born. Mm-hmm. After Isaac's born, she's very jealous of like, she sees Ishmael and Isaac playing. She's like, Oh no, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And she, and she tells Abraham to send her Hagar away. And at first the text tells us, and this is after ch- chapter 18, this is down the road. But the first, like, the the text tells us that it, that Abraham is um, uncomfortable mm-hmm. with the notion of sending them away, but not because of Hagar. It's because Ishmael is his son. Yeah, and so uh, you know Hagar is this kind of disposable character, really, for mm-hmm. Abraham and Sarah both. Uh, but interestingly, and Rachel Held Evans says this in Inspired, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I haven't fact checker, but I assume someone did that. She's the only character in the Bible to name God. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and I've read the Bible a fair amount. Yeah. I didn't realize that. And Whitney was reading inspired when you guys were doing yeah. the book study. Mm-hmm. And she said, she said, is that right? And I said, gosh, I, I mean, if she says it, I'm sure it is right, but I never really thought of that. It's, so that's a, that's a real claim of power mm-hmm. on Hagar's part. And, um, and God, like it all works out okay for Hagar, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Ishmael becomes uh, the father of his own r- religion. I mean, yeah. once you trace it, Muslims trace their their lineage to, a- to Abraham through Ishmael, and it doesn't like Hagar's story ends kind of abruptly, like many characters in the Bible do. But she like she lives long enough to get uh, Ishmael an Egyptian wife. I mean, mm-hmm. but that whole storyline is just it's just uncomfortable. Yeah, it's not. Definitely not my favorite. So with Ishmael, like the fact that God still blessed and made a way, what does that tell you about who God is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what, how would you answer that? Well, I feel like God is in the business of redeeming things. And yeah. so no matter how bad we screw up or <laughs> whatever, like God is good and wants to, um, not that God is bringing us good blessings, like all the, you know, like this, like fairy Santa Claus, but like. God wants good things for us. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. I just think it's a really beautiful redemption. Like, regardless of what happens, like, I'm not going to punish you. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, it's awesome. A, it's a deep yeah. love. Deep love for God's For children. all of humanity. Right. Right. I mean, that's all. That's not what God had in mind. Mm-hmm. But God was not going to let that misstep by Abraham and Sarah end up with the destruction of these innocent lives. Mm-hmm. It's pretty powerful. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's stuck in there. And I just think it's... That's a good point. Mm-hmm. The, the first time I really became aware of Ishmael, uh, this was early on. So I, I started seminary in August of 01. 
9-11 happened yeah. a few weeks later. Yeah. And there was a really powerful, the West Wing is my favorite store, my favorite show of all time. And there's a very famous, it was, mm-hmm. it was totally outside the storyline. You remember this? Yeah. It's Called Isaac episode. and Ishmael. It's a yeah. fantastic episode. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think Josh Lyman's character in the show was Jewish. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And so he was not necessarily a very practicing Jew, but he, he was knowledgeable about the mm-hmm. Jewish tradition. And so he, he did this very, um, it was just a really beautifully done kind of narrative about how a whole lot of human strife mm-hmm. can be traced all the way back to early in Genesis um, when we try to take matters into our own hands kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, it's good. Okay, so talk to us about the icon. I know it's kind of hard to talk about when this is a, you know, it's not a visual thing, right. but talk about it. Okay, so uh, my wife gave me a very hard time about this. Because <laughs> anytime a sentence in a sermon, because, you know, I go over all the sermons with her beforehand. Yeah. And she helps perfect ideas. And if there's anything that's weird or confusing. And uh, anytime I say something like a famous 15th century icon, she's like, oh, my God. Yeah, you were like probably the most famous. I'm like, oh, my gosh. The most famous icon in history. Now, and what? And she's like, oh, Chris, are you serious? I'm like, look, everyone needs to know, like, the Mona Lisa yeah. Everyone needs to know the picture of, of Washington crossing the Delaware. Like there, there are things that are cultural touchstones for Christians. Knowing some icons is not really an unreasonable expectation. Yeah. Wait. Either. So we're not talking about icons like Elton John? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. What? Although we could do a whole sermon series on Elton John music. <laughs> yeah. Levon, it's fantastic. So this icon, uh, it's the reason it's so famous. There's. Like artistic reasons, it's very famous, and there's theological reasons that it's very famous. And it's a picture of this uh, scene from Genesis, and it was uh, there's a very famous Russian artist named Andrei Rublev, and it's really hard to pronounce. In in English, it's uh, it appears R U B L E F E V. Sorry, R U B L E V. So it looks like like Rublev. Actually, it looks like Rublev. Yeah, I was like, I would say Rublev. That's probably how I pronounce it. Right. So, but the there is no U. Like the Cyrillic alphabet is very different. So yeah. it's actually Ru because you have to roll your R's. And then it's not an E. It's a very specific Cyrillic letter that's got like kind of a um, yeah sound. So it's Ru. And and, it, and if it's in a certain place, in the it's all the thing. So <laughs> Rublev is how you pronounce it. And it's a picture of. Um, Three figures gathered around a table. And so in some ways it's anachronistic because like there's a picture of a house. Abraham and Sarah lived in a tent. I mean, the text is very clear about that. And then there's a oak, which kind of always looks to me like a bonsai tree. <laughs> Actually, yeah. it doesn't look like an oak tree at all to me. And then Mount Moriah, which is a famous mountain in Genesis. And what, these, what does anachronistic mean? Uh, it means like um, something that's, that doesn't fit in, in that time. Oh, okay. Right. So they didn't have houses in Abraham and Sarah's day, <clears throat> but we all live in houses. And so we put them in a house, even though they didn't have those. It's like having a, a water bottle in Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> or yes. Starbucks cup, <laughs> whatever they, yeah. Right. Sorry. I didn't know what that meant. So, um, the three figures, like artistically, the way the three figures are pictured, if you draw a line around all three of these figures, it forms a perfect circle, which is very unique artistically. And that reflects the perfection of God. And there's three of them. The story says there's three. And there's all kinds, of, like we, I could have done a whole hour sermon on, or, le- or like art lecture on 
the colors and why the one on the left is the father, the one in the middle is the son, the one on the right is the uh, Holy Spirit. But the the point is that uh, these divine characters, um, what I emphasized anyway in the sermon, is that the one side of the table is open. <laughs> so the three ta- the three figures are around um, the three sides of the table. The one side of the table is open, <clears throat> and most theologians and art art critics would say that uh, that signifies where we are mm-hmm. invited to be. And so I kind of picked up on that later in the sermon about what promises God makes to us. Yeah. It was so, really, I think I've seen that icon before. Most and, people have. I mean, it's, um, very, it's a really, yeah. really famous icon. Each time you talked about it, um, I kept on like, okay, where's the circle? So like, I can't see that. So like mm. the perfect circle. So do you have a copy of it or anything? Um, somewhere. I don't know if you, I mean, you like stuff like that. Yeah, you put it in the show notes. Um, I need to like print it out and be like, okay, where's the perfect circle? Like if you draw a line around where, around where the figures are, Yeah. you know what I mean? Like how the, fig, how, I don't know. Did you ever take out like an art history class or anything like that? No. So it's how, it's how they're in the composition. Okay. So like from the top of the center figure's head, like to the shoulder of the guy on the left, mm-hmm. to his feet. And then around to the feet of the guy on the right. Yeah. And like a perfect it, yeah. circle. I'm going to have to print it out and then be like, okay. Yeah. But, um, no, it was, it's a really powerful image. The it whole is th- a really, it's the like, it's, op- the open seat is, yeah. I don't know. It's a, ca- it's a captivating image. And I mm-hmm. think people don't realize why it's captivating. You know what I mean? Like you're just mm-hmm. drawn to it in a way that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And then when you start doing, reading some critiques of it, you realize why, mm-hmm. um, it's all these kind of subtle details that draw you into the picture. And so, yes, the inspiration was the 18th chapter of Genesis, but anybody who's Christian is going to automatically associate that with the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And Rublev probably intended it like that was, that was, it was intentional. <laughs> it's part of the genius of mm-hmm. the visual medium, really. Yeah. I love icons. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I, so I, my undergraduate major was Russian. I spent a fair amount of time in the Greek Orthodox Church and the Russian Orthodox Church, the Coptic Orthodox Church. I mean, a, a fair amount of Orthodox churches, and I've always loved icons. I just think they're really powerful. We have icons in our house, um, so I just I try not to talk about them too much because mm-hmm. it they're not everybody's jam. But the thing about Orthodox worship is, so you've got these these stunning visuals, and when you go into an Orthodox sanctuary, there's something called the the iconostasis which is like this whole, like a whole wall of icons. Um, and each uh, sanctuary, depending on who it's named after, will have different kinds of ca- uh, characters depicted. The one thing, uh, something, uh, another unique thing about that Rublev icon is that uh, most icons, the characters are looking at you. Like yeah. they're intended to engage with you and um, kind of draw you into a, like a devotion almost. Mm-hmm. I think you can say that. These guys aren't looking at one another. Or they're and they're not looking at you. They're kind of gazing off. It's just it's really powerful. Yeah, I did a study of icons one time for a small group thing, and I think especially for people who don't have any sort of understanding of orthodoxy, like if you grew up non-denominational, like I did, yeah. it's super fun to just read about it briefly because it's very. Um, what was that movie with the American treasure, whatever national treasure, National treasure. there's like clues. Uh Like there's a way to read icons. That's very interesting. Like how people are holding their hands or if their feet are elevated or whatever. Mm -hmm. And to learn what the story they're trying to tell is for, for the run of the mill non-seminary. I it's, (laughs) it's cool. 
Yeah, it really mm-hmm. is. It's uh, yes, I really do think it is. Mm-hmm. I've got one in my office that is Mary and Jesus. That's an old Russian, like it's an antique Russian Orthodox icon that a friend gave me from Henrietta. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple of modern ones too. That one though uh, is in the Russian Orthodox style. So there's the Greek Orthodox style, the Russian Orthodox style, and you, when you look at them, if you looked at them enough of them, you can recognize the differences immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, like for instance, when every icon of John the Baptist, he's pointing. Mm-hmm. And typically there's a cross somewhere because his oh, point is not, yeah. it's not about him. Yeah. Right. Mm, He's pointing I at love Jesus. John the Baptist. And uh, Kenda Creasy Dean, who's a theologian in, uh, out of Princeton, did a lot of work in youth ministry. Mm-hmm. And her point was uh, every youth minister needs an icon of John the Baptist mm. in their office because yes. it's not about them. <laughs> Ooh, it's about man. him. Well, and really every pastor mm-hmm. <laughs> could stand mm-hmm. to have a John the Baptist uh, mm-hmm. icon in their office because it's, I don't know. Those kind of details I really nerd out on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, highly recommend. There's a lot of good articles out there. Yeah. You should teach icon class. That'd be fun. That, like a, I like three people show up. I don't know. If you could see my wife roll her eyes every time I say something <laughs> about the 14th century, the 15th century. <laughs> <laughs> she's also not convinced, by the way. I'm going to have to tell her about mentioning this. Yeah. Uh, but she's also not convinced that any of these things are all that complicated. <laughs> I'm married to an engineer. And she's like, what is exactly complicated about this promise? Like, I don't get it. Like, why, why would they think that it was possible for her to have a baby at, in her nineties? I'm like, oh, you're thinking like an industrial engineer. <laughs> Theologically, it's very complicated. It's not complicated at all. Oh, <laughs> so funny. Okay. So you point out that both Abraham and Sarah laughed. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, how, when they do laugh, how are they different? Which you do talk about. So, but I want you to go ahead and mention it. Yeah. Am I right that most people think of Sarah laughing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is really weird. They're like, oh, she's so not faithful, she disrespectful. Well, it's in children's, you know, curriculum from when I was a kid yeah. and different yeah. things laughed. like, you know, kids' Bibles. Yeah. They only mention that. It's oh, not. Yeah. And here's the, here's the thing. In terms of like an editorial decision, it makes sense that this story is in children's material because it's like, it's a story. It's a story of these strangers showing up. Abraham tries to be hospitable. Mm-hmm. Clearly, there's some kind of divine thing going on. Like, it's told really well. Uh, the problem is it only tells you half the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so in in our in chapter 18, what we read, Sarah's just standing outside the tent. She's like these three randos show up <laughs> and say she's going to get pregnant. And she's like, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And she didn't even confront them. Like, she's minding her own business. She's out. out like, she's laughed to herself and mutters under her breath. Mm-hmm. And then the angel's like, oh, what'd you say? <laughs> I didn't say anything. Oh, yes, you did. Oh, yes, you did. Let me play it back oh, oh, yes. for you, Ray. Right here in the clouds. Uh, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> oh, yes, you did laugh. It's really funny. That's the last line of that text. The previous one, the previous chapter is not as good a story. It's just God shows up. First of all, the subject of the previous chapter is Abraham getting circumcised when he's 99 years old. Well, that's not great Sunday school mm, material for children. Not really. No, no cutouts for that. Ishmael was 13, by the way. If you had a choice between eight days and 13 years old. Yeah. Ooh. Isaac mm. got the better end of that deal. Yeah, he did. No pun sure. intended. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, like you understand why that wouldn't make it into a children's curriculum. Mm-hmm. So, but the problem with that editorial decision is everyone assumes that it's Sarah who laughs when actually, and she does, but it's. It's Abraham who does first. And he's, and what kills me is he's, he's talking to God. He knows he's talking to God. And God says, Sarah's going to have a son. And he falls down on his face and laughs. Like that's literally what the text said. He fell on his face and laughed. Mm-hmm. And, and my point in the sermon is 
understandably so. Mm-hmm. He's 99. She's 90. Like, but this is not the way biology works. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> I get it. I get why, like, our cultural memory is that Sarah is the incredulous one. Yeah. But <laughs> Abraham, um, <laughs> the uh, I do love Abraham. I really do. Yeah. He's, he's, he's an imperfect character. Mm-hmm. He, he pushes back on the wrong things and he doesn't push back mm-hmm. on the wrong things. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like he, he just openly says whatever to God about the, her, Sarah getting pregnant, but okay, now take Isaac up the hill and kill him. Now, okay, sure. Whatever. That makes sense. Like, whatever you say. Like, what? <laughs> Abraham, what are you talking about? What are you doing? <laughs> yep. So, uh, that's a couple weeks away. Okay. So last week, you know, you talked about, uh, kind of Abraham trusting and different things. Mm. And so I do see, I love seeing this journey where you see this struggle of Abraham and Sarah. They really do struggle to trust mm-hmm. clearly because right. they take some things in their own hands. How do you think we kind of struggle with that in general in the world? Where do you see a lack of trust? Mainly with probably God, but I think so uh, there's a lot of ties in this part of the story with uh, Adam and Eve, like we're, we're very inclined to, um, well, we're control freaks mm-hmm. as a yeah. species. Right. And so, I mean, it shows up more or less to a greater or lesser degree in every person, but, um, the notion that, that we don't have control over what's going on in our lives is very disconcerting. And so I think like the way I went with it in the sermon is that we, we want to believe these promises of God, but those, the promises can be, like I use different words, uh, outlandish or outrageous or astounding or hard to believe. And I listed some, um, with the ones that I listed, it, that's not a control thing so much as, uh, just really like, for instance, we want to believe that something good awaits us after we die. Mm-hmm. That's, there's no control involved. I mean, that's not a control thing. That's a existential sure. <laughs> desire. Um, and ultimately you just have to believe that, <laughs> right? I mean, we can read all the books we want about the people coming back from the dead and all that, but right. ultimately it's a trust thing. Um, we want to be able, we want to think that our lives matter and we make some contribution to humanity. And I, and the point I made in the, in the sermon is that the church gives us the opportunity to do that. Like, you know, you can, we presented third grade Bibles <laughs> yesterday. It's a pretty, I mean, that's, a, there were a whole bunch of kids up there, mm-hmm. um, who, for my money, uh, who, who, their lives were made better by the fact that their church provided them this book that's going to be so important in their lives. Um, we want to believe that um, we want we want to have a sense of peace and comfort in the middle of life's difficulties. And sometimes life is just difficult, and we have to trust that God's walking with us through it. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, now. Had I been preaching on the Hagar story in particular mm-hmm. about resting control back, it's a good question. You know, we, you can do a whole thing with, uh, like the Sermon on the Mount where God or Jesus said, Jesus, God, mm-hmm. Freudian slip, same thing, mm-hmm. um, says, don't worry about like where your next meal is going to come from. Mm-hmm. God will provide. Like we, we, we're not, that's not the way we like to live. No. <laughs> There's speaking of the whole Russian thing, there's a, a classic in the Orthodox tradition called The Way of the Pilgrim. You ever read this book? Mm-mm. It's really, really good. I'd recommend it. It's kind of a it's uh this this character of kind of the holy fool who wanders around and says the Jesus prayer constantly. 
Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner, over and over and over again. And everywhere he goes, his needs are provided for. And it's kind of a, um, it's a classic kind of John Bunyan type tale of um, people, uh, of like what it looks like to entirely trust God. Mm. <laughs> Very few of us live that way because, you know, I mean, that's hard. That's a, that's a, like we don't, we want to be in control. Mm-hmm. Can can you think of some examples of that? Uh, nothing like specific, but I just feel like in general, we probably live a life of like, um, always having a backup plan or always having like, okay, if this doesn't work, at least I got this. Like, and so we always, or we just have in our minds, it has to go exactly this way and anything else will just throw everything off. And so it's, it's having this trust of why it's okay to have plans. But I think the whole being a disciple of Christ, being, a, you know, having faith in God is knowing that you're going to be moved and changed and, and you're not going to have control mm-hmm. always. And so you have to be flexible and teachable and moldable. And I think we have just become very kind of rigid, like, nope, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to, I'm not going to budge on this. And I feel like we end up missing out on a lot of things because we haven't made up like, no, it's going to be this way. <laughs> and so not saying like, God, I trust you. Like it may not go exactly how I think it may take longer or whatever, but I'm going to trust that like, ultimately mm-hmm. I'm going to get to where I need to be mm-hmm. and all of that. And so, I don't know. I just think we, we love to be planners. We love to have that control. Yeah. And you know, <clears throat> we can probably, um, make a real direct connection to, uh, kids <laughs> like mm-hmm. having children. Yeah. <laughs> um, it didn't happen the way Whitney and I anticipated mm-hmm. at, at first. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I thought I may or may not talk about this with that uh, text with the sacrifice of Isaac, but, um, I waited a long time to have kids. And then when we, when we felt like we were ready, it, that wasn't an immediate process, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, but putting one foot in front of the other and, um, like doing the, like doing the next right thing, all these colloquialisms we have, uh, and trusting that it was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a tall, that's a tall order. Mm-hmm. And we didn't wait 25 years like Abraham and Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> right. We didn't, that, that, that's, the delay was not that long for right. us. Which I have to say it was even longer. Like, I mean, yeah. it's not like Sarah thought yeah. at the age of 70, like, <laughs> right. I should have kids. Like <laughs> right. most likely she got married very young right. and Grown up, like you have a kid by, you know, you have a kid immediately. And so she, she'd been wanting a baby for decades. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just 25 years. Mm-hmm. Or two, like it was her whole life because yeah. that was the culture. And she'd watched everyone else around her become parents and grandparents and maybe great grandparents. And so, yeah, I mean, that was a deep seated probably desire. Yeah. And there's a lot of emotions. And I talk a little bit, I'll talk a little bit about that in my sermon next week. But, um, and then that roller coaster gets, so you wait all these years, kids never come. Mm-hmm. You resign yourself to the fact they're never going to come. Yep. And then God shows up and promises you one. And then every yeah. month you're yep. thinking, is this the month? Is yep. this the month? Is this the month? And there's 12 of those every year. So you multiply that times 10. So that's 120 times. Yeah. She's thought, well, uh-huh. what's the deal, God? Yeah. I mean, how many times, how many people get told no, or how many people don't get the yes they're looking for 120 times yeah. without giving up hope or mm-hmm. giving up with plan B, you know? Yeah. And then, it's, and then you do that for another 13 years mm-hmm. before Isaac finally, uh, comes along so that by the time these three yahoos show up at 
as far as she's concerned, I mean, she didn't know they're God. Yeah. They show up and said, Oh, you're going to get pregnant now. She's like, yeah, I've been, I've been hearing that song for 24 years. Yeah. Please. People just said, have you tried not stressing? Or have you tried praying yeah. or have you, have you tried praying? It will just happen. Right. The things people say right? to people that can't get pregnant is horrible. <laughs> so, I mean, I, honestly, I get a little defensive for Sarah. Yeah. Like, who, who are you? Like the, she doesn't even have the benefit of knowing that she's talking to God. Mm-hmm. First of all, they're not even talking to her. They're talking to her husband. I know. <laughs> right. I talk about that too. Oh. The husband says, Hey, make some cakes. Yeah. We got Get in the kitchen. Here. Get in the kitchen. Get in the kitchen. <laughs> we got to, we got to make food for these guys. She's like, fine. And yeah. then these rent, I mean, these guys say, Oh, you're, she's going to get pregnant when we, when we come back. She, and I, yeah. I can just imagine, please, you, child, please. Have you, um, seen Bridesmaid? I have. Oh my gosh. So I forgot what. She says, but when she's like, oh, you do like, what is it? It's on the plane, but it just makes me think like how Sarah's like, what probably wants to reply. Oh, I am. Oh, like I'd be so sarcastic. I would have been done with these, you know? Well, right. <laughs> you little airplane man. Yeah. Just like, ugh. anyway, it just makes you think. And, and here's the kicker. And, and yet she's the one who, who we remember as being disbelieving. Mm-hmm. That is not fair to her. No. Why would she believe at this point? Yeah. I mean, I know it's God, clearly. I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm a preacher. I get it. God's yeah. promises are trustworthy for sure. Yeah. Um, but I just think I, there's so many things that are captivating about this story. Mm-hmm. I love, yeah. Abraham and Sarah, just, they're so interesting, so complicated, but wonderful. Okay. Any other verses or things, closing thoughts you wanted to talk about? Well, the refrain that we that I came back to over and over again was the is anything too wonderful for God I mean that that ultimately becomes the the question and um, recognizing all of the reasons why Sarah all the very good reasons why Sarah had to be uh, incredulous about this news mm-hmm. that the question that question that one of the visitors asks her it ends up coming up again and again in scripture very famously Gabriel mm-hmm. announces to Mary that she's going to have a child, even though she is not yet married and she shouldn't be able to have a child yet. Mm-hmm. And she says, how's that going to work? And then he says some, uh, a version of, is anything too wonderful for God? Mm-hmm. Is is anything impossible for God? Something like that. Yeah. Same kind of idea. Interestingly, and this very well could be because she's almost 80 years younger than Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> 75 years younger than Sarah. Um, she says, may it be with me according to your word. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's like the ultimate faithful response yeah. given her circumstance. Right. Um, but that's the question that we have to answer for ourselves. So we have all these promises from God about what it means to live in the community of faith and, and what our, how our faith can sustain us through good and bad times. Um, how we need to invest in the body of Christ with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, our money, all that stuff. And that ultimately that makes a difference in the world. And these are all promises that people on the outside scoff at. Mm -hmm. We have to answer the question for ourselves is, is anything too wonderful for God? Is anything impossible for God is, um, and if we come to a place where we think, nope, God, anything's possible with God, Mm um, which is what Jesus says with God, all things are possible. Then that answering the question that way makes all the difference. It changes the way we show up in our relationship with God. It changes the way we show up in our relationship with other people. It changes our relationship with the church. And, uh, it's an, um, 
if we say no, nothing's impossible for God, then that's a that's a life changing yeah. proclamation. Yeah, it changes your perspective how you just show up in the world completely. Yeah. Yep, yes, indeed. So next week, what are you preaching on? Sarah. So uh, it's the birth of Isaac. Oh, the birth of Isaac. Okay, awesome. So, yeah. <clears throat> that is going to be fantastic. And we are celebrating. So the first two weeks of our back-to-school series, we celebrated uh, youth in week one, mm-hmm. celebrated children this week. We're focusing on women's ministry this coming Sunday. Yeah. We have baptism, as we I understand. A, we got a baptism, yep. Uh, and then you guys have the big women's retreat on Saturday. Saturday. The day before, yeah. So fantastic. Well, Friends, we are so glad that you joined us for episode two of season two. Uh, We look forward to being with you again next week. Hope you have a fantastic uh, week. We'll see you this weekend, hopefully, and we'll be back with you again next week. God bless you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Offscript. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd and Reverend Reagan Gilland. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.